What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sports Kingdom Show. I am your host, Eric, the Duke of Sports Sklar. I am joined by my co-host, Shelton's very own, Tyler Pachulki, and of course, co-host producer extraordinaire, Jacob Gonzalez. Before we start the show, we appreciate you all so much for listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button wherever you decide to listen to the Sports Kingdom show so you can stay up to date on the newest episodes of the show. Also, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review the show wherever you're listening to us. That really helps out as well. Don't forget to follow at TSK Show on all social media platforms and follow all of us as well at the Duke of Sports, at Tyler Pachulki, and at Jacob Double underscore Gonzalez. On this episode of the Sports Kingdom Show, we got a very special guest joining us, editor-in-chief of Silver Screen and Roll, SB Nation's Lakers affiliate, Harrison Fagan. Harrison will help us break down how the Lakers have been doing in their title defense so far this season. All this and more on episode 182 of the TSK Show, coming up right now. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sports Kingdom Show. I am your host, Eric, the Duke of Sports Sklar, coming at you for the second time this week. This is episode 182. Unfortunately, Tyler couldn't make it tonight, but uh, if you want, you can go go back and listen to episode 181 where Tyler and I recap Super Bowl 55, uh, but unfortunately, Tyler couldn't make it tonight, but Jacob is back, and uh, we are happy to have him back. Jacob, what's what's going on, man? How what's you doing? What's up, man? Another show where I can't see your face, but... No, nah, I know. We're, we're back good, in that though. small studio. Yeah, back in the small studio. Um, what did you think of the Super Bowl? Man, <laughs> I wish I had a whole whole hour to do on what I thought of the Super Bowl. But uh, overall, you should have been there Tuesday night. I know I should have. But um overall I thought it was good. It was it was a little bit boring for me, to be honest with you. You kept uh, waiting for Patrick Mahomes yeah, to make a play and I he think, just couldn't. I think that's what it was. For me, for sure it was I wanted it to be more competitive, closer. I wasn't mad at the outcome. I mean, again when we talked about it the week before, it's, you gotta choose your legacy whether you want the new one or or the old one. Yeah. Um but for but for me, I really thought that I was gonna get a better game competitively, you know. Yeah. So I was I was a little bit I was a little bit sad about that, but it's it's tough. But it's funny after after the loss, I was kind of talking to some family members and some friends about the game, and even on Monday, you know, because everybody talks that's like the talk of the town on Monday, obviously. Yeah. But Monday after the Super Bowl should be a national holiday, by the it, way. It should. I mean, you were you were vouching for it last week, so <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll put that into consideration in the future. But I was talking to people on Monday and. It's kind of weird. I said, in a weird way, I think that this is good for the Chiefs. It may sound a little odd, but the last time Patrick Mahomes lost and faced that adversity against Brady, he went to the Super Bowl and won. Yeah. So I think in a good way, it may sound strange, and you know, I may get flagged for it, but honestly, I think this is a good thing for the for the Chiefs. Kind of humbles them a little bit. Yeah. No, they'll definitely use it as motivation going oh, forward. Oh no, big time. And then I think right now it's an adjustment. What do we need to bring back, and what do we need to add to this roster? Yeah. So, I, but overall, I think it was it was okay. You know, the food was good as always. So <laughs> that's that's the most important part too. Yes, but that commercial sucked too. So I don't. Eh. Yeah, I didn't even really pay attention to those. I was just eating and waiting I, for the game. I pay more attention to the game. I'll, I'll let the the other people have the commercials. Yeah, some people really bout the commercials. That's not really me. I'm there for the game and then food. 
Yeah. Those are the two things I care about. Yep. But football season is over, and uh, we haven't talked about the Lakers in a while, and uh, we have a very special guest joining us to help break down the first third of the season that has gone by so far. But before we introduce our special guest, I got to let you know that this episode of the Sports Kingdom Show is sponsored by Jay Diamond Estates. For all of your real estate needs here in the Los Angeles area, contact Jacob Diamond at 818-451-8539, or you can check out his website, jdiamondestates.com, DRE number 0206831. Come on, you're getting paid. Ask something. Three seconds at midcourt. Final seconds. Bryant for the win. Did I miss anything while I was gone? Take this and you burn it. Job's not finished. Job finished? I don't think so. So when you get done with this, you should be butt-ass naked. So obviously, us here at the Sports Kingdom show, we are based in Los Angeles. We are all Lakers fans. And so I thought it would be a good idea to do a Lakers-centric episode now that we're a little more than a third of the way done with the regular season and to help us break down what's been going on with the defending champion Los Angeles Lakers is someone I've been following and reading for uh, quite some time now. He is the editor-in-chief of SB Nation's Laker affiliate Silver Screen and Roll. You can follow him on Twitter at HMFagan, none other than the great Harrison Fagan. Harrison, welcome to the Sports Kingdom show. It's nice to actually speak to you and not just uh, through Twitter interactions. Yeah, no, I mean, especially I, I found in uh, in 2020, like 2021, like it's just nice to like talk to different people, like whether it's for a podcast or not, like just because, you know, living at home forever. And so I, I'm excited to do it. Yeah, man. No, we we appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, I wanted to especially make time on a Lakers off night uh, so uh, I could let you focus on on the games and stuff. Well, so I wanted to make sure we did this on an off night. But the Lakers, they are 20 and six right now. And realistically, I think it's been a consensus that the team, the team's been coasting for for most of this season up to this point. So I think the first thing that I want to ask you about is your tweet after the game last night where the Lakers beat the Thunder for the second consecutive game, 114-113 in overtime. And it was the Lakers' third straight overtime game. You tweeted last night, quote, this got to be the worst six-game winning streak ever. So what do you make of the fact that the Lakers have not been playing their best basketball, yet they still have the second-best record in the NBA? Well, so I think there are a lot of conclusions that you can draw from that, and I think the, I mean, it's the top of the list is Lakers are really good. Uh, <laughs> like, it, you know, if we yeah. can be, like, if all of us can be this frustrated watching them, and, you know, like, just say that these are horrible basketball games. How are they winning? They're playing awful. And it's like, well, they've won their last six games. Like, you know, they're doing something right. And there's a certain baseline level of talent there that has to be, like, kind of ridiculous for this team to have the second-best record in the NBA and have fans after, you know, all six losses tweeting at me that we need to cut everyone or <laughs> Vogel needs to be fired or, you know, X, Y, and Z can't play anymore and da 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 It's like, I mean, this team's obviously pretty good if, you know, like one loss triggers stuff like that, or, you know, like uh, despite their record, uh, 
like they're or despite all that, they're still able to assemble this kind of record. And so I think that's my biggest takeaway. And then the other one is like, I mean, they have not been playing well lately. They've honestly kind of deserved to lose their last three games. They've I've managed thought so. to pull it out. Yeah, because they're like that much better. But, you know, like uh, they really have been playing with their food uh, almost an exceptional amount this year. Do you almost feel like they're getting a little sluggish? Because they did play, obviously, to win the title, so that's late in the season. Uh, and then, obviously, they don't get a lot of rest, them or the Heat. No, yeah. I mean, if you look at the other records of the other conference finalist teams, I believe they're like something like 35 and 35 or something like that. Uh, they, they, I may be a little bit off. I know they're around 500 or slightly below 500 uh, if you combine the records of all three other conference finalists. And, like, I mean, the reason I point that out is that short of a turnaround is clearly not just taking a toll on the Lakers and especially the Heat are one team that I was kind of looking at or as the season has gone along of like a barometer for, okay, how does a less talented team do under these same circumstances and a worse conference? Yeah. And like, look, the Heat have had injuries of their own. Like they've dealt with the, they have like a mini COVID outbreak. So they have, you know, different problems that they're dealing with and the Lakers have had to so far. But I think that what it does say is that that short turnaround was difficult. And I think for no one more so than Anthony Davis, I think we're finding out, you know, he was really the thing that people don't bring up enough is that he was really banged up by the end of that finals. Like, I mean, we all remember game five. I'm sure you guys, if you're Lakers fans, you remember probably freaking out a little bit. Like, you know, is he done for the series? You know, when he walked off the floor, it did not look good. It looked like Kobe walked into the locker room after he tore his Achilles. Yeah, like it looked bad. And so he came back, but he apparently was playing on like an undisclosed ankle injury for the rest of that series, only have two months off, comes into the season, clearly is physically limited. Now we find out he's dealing with an Achilles thing. And it's like, well, like, you know, getting him healthy has to be the first priority. And so I think, you know, him not being there partially explains as much as anything why they have not looked quite that good. And it, at the same time is a testament to how talented they are that he at like 50% while playing on an Achilles thing, like is making them one of the best defenses in the league. Yeah. And I mean, now that it is, has been disclosed and he, he has been diagnosed with that Achilles tendinosis, uh, AD, he put a lot of expectations on himself coming into the season and He's been very forthright about those expectations and how he's not even living. He doesn't think he's living up to the the expectations he's set. But do you think the slow start to AD season is attributed more to the injury? Or do you think that he's just too much in his head? Because I I think he's too much in his head and he just needs to play more freely. Obviously, this Achilles tendinosis injury, that obviously plays a factor in it because I think it's a new injury. But I just think he's too in his head. I mean, I definitely think that there is an element to that. I also think, like, when you say, like, in his head, I think there's, like, a lot of different things that that can mean. And, like, I I mean, one of them to me is he does look like he's second-guessing himself at times, you know, when he's out there. And I I think that some of that does come from, okay, like, so let's go back to last year during the playoffs. When was he at his best? It was when he was playing center with a, a space floor, like, all that stuff. That's when he looked like, you know, bulkier Kevin Durant basically is like a mid-range assassin and on offense that was just unstoppable. He was blowing by guys that were oh, you it was know, a historic that playoff run he had. Yeah, it, it was ridiculous. And 
this season, you know, whether it be Mark or whether it be Trez, the paint is a little bit more clogged up. He was having to take more jumpers. I think he's, you can almost see like the Apple loading wheel going above his head as he tries to figure <laughs> out, you know, where X, Y, and Z are supposed to be on offense and stuff. And so I think he's still figuring stuff out with new teammates. I don't think it's just a matter of like, you know, there is definitely an element of what you're talking about where, you know, I, I mean, we've all seen it. He, he passes up on threes and, you know, stuff like that. There are shots that he could take that he doesn't take because he's not comfortable. But I also think that some of it is just you're adjusting to new circumstances, you know, with some of these physical limitations that I do think are a factor in it. Yeah, and I think one other aspect is he's also made a conscious effort to pass more this season. That's That's a part of his game that I think he's working on. And we've seen great flashes of it where he has made great strides in his passing ability and passing out of a double team. But you're right. There is that second guessing nature that is still in the back of his mind. Like, should I pass it or should I shoot it? Yeah, no, I mean, he's definitely a better passer. You know, it was, that was what he shouted out actually today after practice is what he thinks he's gotten better at the most this season. And I agree. I think like, you know, it, it, even from, you know, pre-bubble to the bubble, we saw a growth in his passing. I think he really learned, you know, about his teammates. I think he really learned from LeBron, like, you know, what kind of reads to make and where help is going to be coming from when you're at different spots on the floor. Like, I, I think there was an adjustment and a teaching period there. And I think that, like, this year he has made progress as a passer for sure. It's just still definitely not the best part of his game. Like, he is, like, there are times where he makes a pass and it's like, whoa, like, that was a really quick read. Like, you know, he hit the guy, like, the next rotation over. Like, that was great. And then there are other times where, you know, he sends the pass and, like, it either gets, like, a, a tipped or whatever. Like, sends it a couple seconds too late. Like, yeah. he, he was clearly thinking about it a little too long. Like, you know, it's hit and miss. But he has grown in that respect for sure. Yeah. Now, this Lakers roster, for the most part, it kept its core intact, you know, the key contributors. Uh, but over the offseason, they made a couple transactions. And obviously, these new guys coming in, they have something to offer. But so far of these new additions, who has who have you been more impressed with? Yeah, you know, honestly, I, I think I, I, probably Montrez Harrell. Like, I think <laughs> early on in the season, I would have said Dennis Schroeder just because he, he's a lot better defensively than mm. I anticipated. And, you know, I was really enjoying watching him. But lately, it's been Trez has been the one that has really been um, kind of impressing me. And I, I think, it, it, number one, it's just the it's the energy that he brings every single night. Like, it, it's a cliche, but he really doesn't turn it off. Like, there is... You know, there's him on the bench and there's him in the game and there's no settings in between that on his like uh, on his, you know, intensity level. And so, like, I've really enjoyed getting to watch him. I think that like his hook shots uh, for me have been a lot of fun to watch. I enjoy. Like, I saw your I stats on that on Twitter today. Yeah, and so that's why I looked up that stat was because I was posting about it and I was looking it up for a podcast that we were doing and um, possibly a story later down the line if I get to talk to him about it. But that'd be cool. I um. Like, I, I very much enjoyed watching him and his intensity and just, like, his kind of, like, level of give a crap. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I just really appreciate, especially on a team that is lacking that on a lot of nights. Yeah. I, I just enjoy that he goes out there and plays hard. He's not – he doesn't play mistake-free. You know, he has his deficiencies in certain areas. But genuinely, you know – obviously LeBron is incredible and the Lakers don't win their last two games without LeBron having those transcendent performances, really the last three, but especially the last two, they definitely don't win those without Trez either. Oh, for sure. And listen, I know myself and a lot of other Lakers fans, probably yourself included Harrison, you had that nuggets game circled on your calendar because you wanted to see what Trez oh, yeah. could do against Jokic. Yeah. 
No, absolutely, and uh, I, I think he acquitted himself well. I mean, Very like, well. is he is he the is he the Jokic stopper? Absolutely not. But like, did he get destroyed to the degree that like it looked like he could not play professional basketball? Yeah, he's like not he unplayable. Did in the bubble, no. Yeah, he's he's not unplayable like we were told when he when he signed. Well, yeah, what, what see, he gives I was up in told height. by Clippers fans <laughs> that he was going to destroy the defense and he couldn't play him <laughs> against Jokic. And, and look, it's one game. Like, the Nuggets will be better than that if they face the Lakers in a playoff series. They're still very much figuring some stuff out. But, like, I also have a lot more faith in this coaching staff to put Trez in a position to succeed than I do with Doc, you know, the king of blowing 3-1 leads. <laughs> um, so you brought up how Miami had COVID issues, and obviously that has been – uh, a theme throughout the season because we are obviously still in the middle of a global pandemic and the the league the NBA they're not in a bubble this year they the teams are flying around cross country they're making schedule adjustments like we have seen with the Lakers playing Oklahoma City twice in a row they had the road trip earlier in the season where they played two in S San Antonio and then two in Memphis um, but the Lakers are one of the only teams to not have had a game postponed due to COVID-19 in the NBA. How important do yeah, you think that... Yeah, I believe they're one of four or five, right? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's very few. Yeah, so how important do you think that is to the team's early success? Oh, I mean, uh, like, yeah, I mean, that's probably not as important as anything because obviously them being a really good team is really important. But even if you're really... You could be the best team in the league and if you have, like, an outbreak... Like, if you had a Wizards-level outbreak then it doesn't matter how good you are. You just don't have enough guys to play. You got to shut the whole team down for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, how much does that mess with your adjustment process and slow you down and like in getting in rhythm with your new teammates and whatever, like, you know, I do think that that is a huge factor, like is just like to some degree luck and to some degree, their own caution in making sure that that doesn't happen with them. For sure. I mean, we've been, we've been talking about it here uh, on the TSK show, like in the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, all of professional sports, you're now adding a second opponent to every team, and that's COVID-19. And so yeah. that's something that has to be accounted for. And it's like we've said the healthiest team at the end of the year is probably going to be the one that hoists that trophy. Yeah, remember we all thought that in the bubble last year too because it's like, well, will they really be able to keep it out? Is Are they endangering everyone by keeping it in that? And then by the end of it, like nobody was really talking about that, right. at least not in like an NBA sense. Obviously on the outside world, we were still thinking about it and talking about it plenty, but there was no sense like by, probably by the first round of the playoffs, really, like there was no like, oh, you know, like a coronavirus case is going to derail this because it seemed like they had done – you know, as good of a job as you could reasonably do in keeping it out of, you know, the bubble where they were at. And like now, yeah, it's like when Alex Caruso had to go into health and safety protocols, I remember like we, we started writing like, you know, like just a skeleton of a story, like to be ready if the Lakers got shut down. Yeah. And, you know, like looking into stats about other teams and how long that takes and what the NBA's policies are and whatever. And, you know, we never had to use that obviously. And, you know, knock on wood, we won't have to use it because I don't want anyone to get sick. I would love it if every single team was able to, and everyone in the world was able to avoid infection, but that's, you know, that's sadly not the situation that we are in. And, you know, like I, uh, like it, it was concerning though, because you see like, it's like health and safety protocols. It's like, okay, it's been like three days. He's still not back yet. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. We thought he tested, positive. he tested positive. Yeah. No, he didn't test positive. It was, it was right. He had no, he was just a close contact, but we thought he, we thought because it was taking so long that he actually did test positive. 
Yeah, no, there was definitely like I, I, you know, in the back of my mind, I was starting to I was starting to think so. And it turned out that, that was not the case, obviously, because if he had tested positive, like the thing in my mind that was like, I don't think that he tested positive because if he had tested positive, he the, he got taken out the night of the second night of a back to back. Yeah. Like, there's no way that no one else on the team would have been isolated for contact tracing if he had tested positive. And so right. that was what made me think that he probably didn't. But look, like, there's a chance of anything. Who knows? Like, we saw with the Kevin Durant situation, the that NBA doesn't always situation. manage this the most responsible way. No. Like, so That was um, a weird one. Yeah. Yes, that was very strange. Um, but all right, switching gears a little bit, I wanted to ask you about Frank Vogel. So we saw... Markeith Morris and Wes Matthews not play for 11 days. And then yeah. Markeith starts for Anthony Davis in the first game against Oklahoma City. And he had some good moments in that game. And then he also had some great moments in the second game. I, I distinctly remember a, a couple of threes late in the fourth quarter last night. And um, Wes Matthews, he had arguably his best game as a Laker that first game against Oklahoma City this week. He hit four or five threes off the bench. And then he hit some clutch threes last night in overtime, and he got some key stops on defense as well. And then taking it back a little bit, Dwight and JaVale, uh, Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, they were in similar scenarios in the bubble, but when their number was eventually called, they were impactful in the minutes that they played. So I want to ask you, like, what are your thoughts on Frank Vogel's, like, stay ready, don't got to get ready culture that he's brought to the Lakers since being hired as a head coach? Yeah, so I think that, that that's something that every coach says, right? Like every coach, there's no coach in the NBA that's like, well, you're not going to play, so don't worry about staying ready. You know what I mean? Like, and so, like, to some degree, it's a cliche, but I think that there is something to the idea that Vogel is better at getting guys to actually execute on that than a lot of coaches are. Yeah. Because, like, obviously, every coach wants their guy to stay ready. There is some level of secret sauce. Like either it's either in the guys that the Lakers are bringing in, it's in something that Vogel is telling them. Who knows? Maybe it's the coaching staff and the way that they, you know, like there's something here that I don't. I'm not sure that we've ever really been able to get to the bottom of. But I think what it mostly boils down to is I think it's number one, it's the personality types. Like these older guys that are just chasing a ring, like they're going to be less likely to grouse, especially in a locker room that's this locked together with so many guys rowing in the same direction. And like LeBron. nobody wants to be the one guy that is like complaining about playing time when everyone else is like working their ass off, you know? Yeah. And so I think there's a degree of that to it. And it's also like Wes Matthews literally like two weeks into his Lakers tenure called Vogel the best communicator he's ever had as a head coach. And that kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit because Wes Matthews has played for a lot of good coaches. He played like, for Rick like Carlisle. He, he played for Nate McMillan, I believe, in Portland. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he played for uh, Terry Stotts, I think, even there. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, like guys that are respected coaches, like, you know, not it, it's not Phil Jackson or Pat Riley, but respected like coaches and stuff like that. So, like, I was like, wow, like Vogel really must. And then when you look behind the scenes and you talk to guys about it, like, you know, if he's going to take you out of the rotation, this is not like a Byron Scott situation where like, you know, you've just got to come talk to me if you feel if you feel like you need to talk to me about something. This is like he's going to them. He is being proactive. He's pulling them aside and saying, look, here's the situation. You're going to be out of the rotation. If you don't like that, let me know. I'm going to let you know how I'm feeling. And I'm going to let you know that this is a temporary so stay ready. And, and then eventually actually delivering on that. Right. Because yeah. like, 
if he was just telling Keith and Wes, hey, just stay ready, but then let's say AD and Caruso go out and then he just like shortens his rotation even more or like goes to Devontae Kaycock or, you know, like whatever it may be that it, like whoever he throws out there and whatever solution he has, if it wasn't get Wes and Keith some minutes, then all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay. So I don't actually need to stay ready because you're not going to play me where like, I, I think the AD and Caruso sitting out, even if that hadn't happened, I think sometime in these next couple games, we would have gotten Keith and Matthews minutes just because we saw it last year with Troy Daniels, Quinn Cook, like, this is something where Vogel uses the regular season as an experimentation lab to build sample sizes with different lineups, different groupings, all of this stuff, so that he knows which levers he needs to pull for which situations in the postseason. And we saw them kind of manage that to perfection last year with JaVale and Dwight. And I think that we're seeing, you know, I think there's like maybe a little bit more upsetness about it from Marquise and Wes than there was from JaVale and Dwight. But I think that they've handled it as professional so far and they said all the right things. Yeah. And I think one thing about Vogel and getting those sample sizes with those lineups, that's been one of the most fascinating things to me about Vogel as a head coach that I, even though it is the regular season and they're, they're, they're vying for, for a playoff spot and home court advantage and all of that still, it's like he's he's still willing to try all of this so that he knows what will work in the playoffs when it's a much different game when you're focusing on a single opponent for a four to seven game period. And I think like it also just helps from the perspective of like guys feel like they're getting a, like a legitimate they're giving being given a legitimate chance, you know, like look what like, THT and Caruso have done with that. Yeah, exactly. Like those guys took those chances and earned their way into the rotation. Whereas like guys like Quinn Cook and Troy Daniels, they didn't play that well, but they can't complain and say that coach never gave them a shot outside of garbage time. You know, I think so often in the NBA, those guys at the end of the bench, they only get a chance if there's injuries or they only get a chance if, you know, like if the team is desperate at the end of the game and they just throw them in there completely cold, whatever. Whereas like Vogel, you know, uh, he, for better or worse, and there were games where this probably cost the Lakers last year, he just said, you know what, Troy Daniels is my backup point guard tonight. And Troy Daniels got a chance to prove himself. And, you know, it didn't work, but, like, he, he couldn't complain and say that he felt like he wasn't given a fair shot. And so I think that there is an element of that to it as well. Now, uh, somebody we haven't really mentioned is fan favorite Kyle Kuzma. Although his numbers don't really show, you know, they're, they're not really that great this season, but what he has made is a huge impact with different lineups on the floor. Um, how have you seen his development change from last season to this season? I mean, I think that, and this is something I, we actually, uh, we did a whole podcast on this today, so it is getting talked about <laughs> a little bit. But um, I think like, or like half a podcast on it, but you know, Kuz has been uh, like Kuz. I think the simplest way to sum it up is he like he's making winning plays now. He has gone from a guy that kind of sulks a little bit when he doesn't get the ball, doesn't necessarily always know how to play a more complimentary role, to a guy who has, I think, to the detriment of his own scoring, especially the last two games where he could have had more opportunities, has known his role, has stuck to his role, and continued to do the things that he knows is going to make him effective for this team when it matters. And like, like the thing that blows me away is not even the offense part, because like, look, he's a talent. He was a talented scorer at like kind of getting his own baskets and getting his own shot and stuff like that during his rookie year. To some degree, you always think that that can translate a little to becoming more of an off ball player. If a player has the smarts and like the shooting ability to do that. And he always did. So I always thought that he could do that if he had set his mind to it. The thing that's really blown me away is the defensive improvement. Like 
He, he's the never going to win defensive player of the year. He's never going to make an all defensive team, but he is a passable to good defender now. And a guy that the Lakers can throw on threatening wings and in a variety of matchups and stuff. And that's just not something you could say about him during his first couple of years in the league. And like, like that's the most impressive part of it to me more so than anything. And, and what's been great to see is because obviously when he first came to this team and then getting LeBron and AD, there was always the talk of that third guy. Who's that third option and obviously that weighs on you as a player because his name was thrown in there. And when you don't, you know, rise up to that occasion, yeah, you can get down on yourself. But for him to just kind of get in his own and then find a, a fit because it was always tough. Was he a four? Is he a wing? So I think it's great to finally see that he's having an impact regardless of what the numbers show. Yeah, and I think that he – I also think that Vogel now has, has a sense for his game and what he likes about him and how to use him. That's like part of having a year together now, right? It's like – Last year, you know, you said people threw Kuz's name in the third star thing. Kuz threw his name in the third star thing. Like in off-season <laughs> interviews, he was like, I think that can be me. And you don't hear him saying stuff like that anymore. He's still very confident. I believe 100% that he thinks that he could be a high-end starter for another team. But I think he wants to win. I think he's comfortable in Los Angeles. And I think he likes this team and this organization and didn't want to leave, which is why you see the extension. And now that he's gotten paid, quote unquote, like he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. And he can go and do the things that the team needs him to do versus feeling like any pressure to do the things that he feels like is going to get him paid, which is, you know, we saw back and forth with that last year where, you know, Jared Dudley was, was constantly talking about how he was telling Coos like, the way you get paid is by winning. They pay winning players. Like, you know, I've made X amount of dollars in my career, and it's not because I've ever averaged 20 points a game. And I think that, not that, like, Kuz is trying to turn into Jared Dudley or something, but I do think that when you see it pay off, the way that the Lakers had it pay off, and literally pay off in terms of he is going to have a much larger bank account when his new contract kicks in next year. Like, I, I think that that is when that stuff can really start to click for a younger player. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Kuz is – Really, it ultimately just comes down to he's he's matured as a player and as a person. I think, uh, like Jacob was bringing up and, and you were talking about, Harrison, the fact that I think he's accepted the the role of of not gunning for that third star and just accepting yeah. his role and, and being a star in his own role. And, and Frank Vogel loves to, loves to talk about that. He loves that line, being a star in your yeah, own star role. Yeah, a star in your role is one of his go-tos, for yeah. sure. Um, but no, I, ju I think the fact that Kuz is is making those winning plays, like you like you mentioned, Harrison, and just making an impact without scoring the basketball with the defense, with the rebounding, with the offensive rebounding, which came in so clutch last night uh, against Oklahoma City. It's just it's all about the maturity of his game, which is it's it's been fascinating to watch because he he really is the last baby Laker on on the roster right now. Well, besides, well, how, first besides, of all, how dare you? THD. The disrespect to Sorry. Alex Caruso and Taylor Horton Tucker yeah, to just right. like completely right. erase them. You're right. But you're right. Yes, he is the last of uh, of the Lonzo, D'Angelo, you know, whatever that generation of baby Lakers was right. for sure. Well, and Caruso and started in OKC. Laker, never forget, he's he's the one that has to teach everyone else how to be a Laker now. Yeah, he's the longest tenured on the roster, even even longer than yeah. LeBron. Yeah, I think he's. Uh, I think he has a slightly longer tenure than. Uh, no, he's he's shorter than Luol Deng's cap hold, so they really have to defer <laughs> to uh, to Luol Deng's cap hold. You know, around the locker room, but Kuz is second behind that. Well, since we're bringing up Luol Deng's cap hold, I have to just bring up Rob Palinka and the fact that 
he was able to put this team together while still having Luol Deng's money on the books. Yeah, it's like building a championship team with one hand tied behind your back, right? Like, Luol <laughs> Deng's cap hold, you know, we joke, but that was genuinely, like, I think, like, their fourth highest, fourth or fifth highest paid player last year, and it's it's dropped now that guys are on extensions and, you know, Schroeder and Trez are making a decent amount and whatever, but, like, that was, like, their fifth highest paid player last year was a guy who did not play a single second for them and wasn't on the roster. Like, you know, that is an achievement in roster building, and also, you know, like, it helps to have LeBron and Anthony Davis. But I do think that Polinka has done since being empowered in the sole, like, you know, basketball decision maker role. And yeah. obviously he has help and whatever, but the highest ranking one, uh, you know, along with president of basketball operations, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Uh, <laughs> like, I think that like they together have all done a great job putting the roster together. And there are like, you know, we, jo- we make jokes about all that, right? Like you laughed and like, I, you know, I'm making a joke to some degree, but like at the same time, you know, being serious, like that is a real skill to defer to those guys. And it takes a certain egolessness. Like every GM says that they only care about winning and we just want to get guys in that only care about winning. But how many GMs would be willing to, hear that their star player is the sole GM for the team and making every decision and get absolutely no credit from their peers, from the media on the outside, for the most part, like all that stuff. Like there is a certain skill in the way that he just doesn't care about that. And is still willing to defer and collaborate with these guys, even if he knows it's going to come at the expense of his own reputation. Like, you know, we've seen Daryl Morey do that, like with James Harden, but at the same time, most moves you could say were probably Daryl Morey's moves. Like we don't say that with Polinka. No one's like, Oh, that that's a very Rob Polinka move. It's like, Oh, yeah. that's LeBron's friend that they brought in, you know? Yeah. And like, I think, you know, by consulting so much with them, he has harmed his own individual reputation. But I think in the end, like, you know, if that leads to more success for the Lakers, you know, it's like we were talking about with Kuz, like, you know, winning takes care of everything. Yeah. Winning does cure all. Yes. Well, Except coronavirus. You still <laughs> got to be careful about no, that. No, well, yeah, it doesn't right about cure that. that. Uh, but but now that you bring a blue all dang and that we kind of mentioned that, uh, the Lakers next season, I know we're still in the middle of the, this season, so I know it's still premature, but next season they could be hit with a huge tax bill. Um, I know we've they've talked to a couple players, you know, about certain contract extensions, you know, Dennis Schroeder's another one and, and Montrezl Harrell thinking about the future. Now, with this tax bill, I think they have to make some tough decisions. Now, Jeannie Buss has made a great job, and so has Palenka. We talked about him, how he was able to pull all these players in while still paying off Luol Deng. But uh, looking towards next season, though, is there what are their options here? I guess I should say because they're they have a couple, I think, things that they need to think about heading into next season. Yeah. So I mean, yes and no, right? Because like to some okay, degree, Darius. this, this hold. <laughs> <laughs> Look, people already say that I sound exactly like him, so I might as well just keep the impression going. Um, like I think to me, the the cap situation is. Like, that's a genie bus problem, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're capped out either way. And so it's either you want to pay all these guys to keep a winning team together or you want to sacrifice depth to save yourself paychecks. And, like, we're going to find out a lot about her as an owner over this next year. And, like, I, I think that, that people were, you know, like Eric, Eric Pincus wrote about this earlier this week. And I, I have endless respect for Eric. He's my go-to guy on cap stuff and, like, you know, one of my mentors in this industry. But, like, I think that, 
you know, a lot of people were taking his article as basically saying that the Lakers were going to cheap out when that's not really what he was saying. He was saying, here's what this is going to cost. Yeah. Here's what they'd have to do to drop it if, like, if they are going to do that. He laid because, out all the options. You know, that is a realistic. Yeah, we need to know about that. Like yeah. those are important things for all of us to understand. And like the thing, like there's no one-to-one comparison about this situation because even like number one, Genie Bus has never been in charge of a championship contender that's facing a bill like this. So we've never seen what her inclination would be if faced with decisions like this, right? And the other part of this is there's also no equitable comparison throughout the entire history of the Lakers because they've never had to make a de- the only similar decision that they've ever had to make like this is when they put the um, like Kobe Powell Nash Dwight team together you know and like fa- took a pretty hefty luxury tax bill for that as well but that was right after they got that Spectrum TV contract the giant you know like thirty billion dollar deal or whatever that Jeannie Buss negotiated and so they have the money like they have money coming in from spectrum where they can afford this 100 million dollar tax bill which is like an insane thing to say but they can and so if that's what's necessary to keep a winning team together then like you know it's basically up to Jeannie bus and how much she you know enjoys having this team be good like that's not this isn't a question of cap management or whatever it's just like do you want to be good and pay the price for that or do you want to kind of take a step back and, you know, cheap out a little bit? And I think that that is kind of, you know, like where the Lakers are going to be at this summer. But like, this is not something that fans should be worried about from the perspective of like, oh, like if they extend Schroeder, then that's not money that they don't, uh, that they have to go after another guy because they don't, if they don't extend Schroeder and they lose Schroeder, they don't have anything to replace him. It's the same with Alex Caruso, same with THT, same with Trez, like, all these guys, it's not a matter of like, oh, he's asking for too much. He's not worth that. It's like a matter of like, how much do you want Jeannie Buss to save money? You know, like. Yeah, I, I think in the end, obviously, like you mentioned, she's going to have to get a little bit creative. But uh, you saw from last year, you know, you, you this they put together this team, you know, with 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 key contributors and reserves and obviously your star players this year, like I mentioned before, you make a couple of transactions, but you essentially retool the roster. And so, yeah, looking for, like you said, I guess like your fans, I show some concern to it, but uh, this is a point where she's going to have to get down to the nitty gritty and to figure it out. I think that, and also like they, they retooled and upgraded this off season when mm-hmm. everybody said they were going to have no money to do that either. <laughs> and so like, I think what we also learned is that, you know, even if they do quote unquote cheap out, because it's easy for me to say that I'm, mean, it's not my a hundred million dollars. Um, <laughs> but like we've seen that guys are willing to sacrifice financially to come to this team. And so maybe they think that they can get a bargain elsewhere, you know, by passing up on one of these guys, or maybe one of them proves to not be as good of a fit as you'd think. But for right now, like, you know, people are like worried about the Schroeder extension. Does that mean, does that mean we lose Caruso? Does that mean we lose THT? It's like, no, none of this means any of that because they can go over the cap to sign these guys. The only guy that you have to worry about is Trez. And that's like getting outbid for him. That's not even like, like the Lakers are capped on what they can offer him next year. I think it's like 11 million or something because of yeah. uh, how they signed him using non-bird rights. And so like, if he gets, you know, not a max offer, but more than 11 million or something, then he may leave. And like, this was a nice audition year for him. But beyond that, like they don't really have limits other than those imposed by the CBA on what they can pay the rest of these guys. It's not a cap issue. Yeah. I think what we learned, especially after this, this past off season is Rob Plink and Jeannie Buss will, f- will find out a way to fit to, to get it done. 
Or what we learned from the offseason before that is if they don't, then Lakers fans will protest in front of the facility. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like I, I, there's short fuses here, you know, like. Listen, I mean, the Lakers as a franchise, their standards are are, are already high. And I mean, Lakers fans. LeBron and they were like, we didn't go to the playoffs. It's time to stage a it's time to stage a coup in front of Staples Center. Like, yeah, that was an interesting moment in Lakers history. But we, yeah, I mean, what was funny was like, it was, I think it was mostly like teenagers that just did it for the memes, but oh, it ended yeah. up like becoming like a very amusing day, at least. Yeah, I mean, hey, they got on SportsCenter. They, they got what they wanted. Yeah, no, they got exactly <laughs> what they wanted. That was probably great for their TikToks or whatever. Yeah. So uh, we got Harrison Fagan from Silver Screen and Rural joining us on the Sports Kingdom show. We got a few more questions for you, Harrison. Uh, some people say that the biggest concern for the Lakers right now is a second rim protector and we do have the trade deadline coming up in a few weeks what do you think the lakers do at the trade deadline do you think they make a move do you think they get a second rim protector a rim protector what what do you think happens Honestly, the only move that I see them making is, you know, it's around the trade deadline. I forget the exact date when the tax basically drops or not the tax when uh, like the veterans minimum prorated for the rest of the season becomes less than like the amount of spending room that they have. And they can add a 15th guy because technically they have a roster spot open right now. I believe it's I believe it's next month that this uh, date is. I just don't remember the exact day and that doesn't matter. But I think that the main thing is. You know, maybe we see them like add a buyout guy on like off of the market, but I also don't think like I think to some degree this rim protector stuff is overstated. I would agree with that. Does does the Lakers like rim protection look different than last year? Certainly. Like you know, when Marcus All gets blown by, it looks bad. You know, but like when he is, the Lakers are I believe still allowing a lower percentage at the rim than they were last year. And like, they're clearly doing things to keep guys away from there, to keep guys shooting poorly there. And the other reason that I just can't bring myself to get too worked up about this is like, what did we just watch last year? Like, you know, we want Anthony Davis is going to be at the five when yeah. it matters anyway. And then exactly. there's your rim protector. That's your second rim protector. You know, like how much people are overstating it. Like JaVale barely played in the playoffs after the first round, you know? And so like, I think to some degree, all of this is, like we're all looking for something to talk about. I just don't like, to me, that's not a real thing. I don't know how you guys feel, but like, I just don't think like what, first of all, what rim protector are you going to get on the buyout market? That's good. That isn't just going to go to the nets and take on like basically a starting role, you know, like I just either, either Anthony Davis is going to get healthy and he's going to play the five when the minutes matter or he's not. And the Lakers are screwed. Like I just, I don't see a buyout guy that fixes that. And, and my thing is, is, the Lakers are still the second best defensive team in the league right now. Yeah. I mean, no, they're the first they're top. They're, oh. they're like by far top in points per 100 possession. Okay. So then it must, it must've changed in the last few hours then. But yeah, I mean, Hey, that my, like that you said it exactly when it comes down to it, when crunch time, like when push comes to shove, Anthony Davis is going to be at the five. That's all that matters. Yeah, it's like JaVale, unless you think JaVale McGee was distracting shooters at the rim with his yelling from the bench during the playoffs last year, like, I just don't, like, I don't think that the second rim protector is, like, a real thing. I, I just don't. Like, JaVale contributed during the regular season. He helped them build defensive habits and keep AD fresh so that he could do it when it mattered. Yeah. No, I I, I was not a big uh, proponent to getting a second rim protector. I, and I also think Mark has done 
a fine job on defense. Yeah, he looks kind of slow out there when he's going against a more athletic big, but he's gotten the job done just fine. Oh, yeah. he's He's been, like, honestly, he has been 95% completely fine. But the 5% with him looks a lot worse than, like, JaVale barely <laughs> not blocking a shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, when Mark, when Mark gets beat, it looks a lot worse. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny. We're talking about Western Conference teams here. The Western Conference has always been more competitive. You know, uh, the, the players, to me, have been a little bit more better. You know, you have a sea of point guards. Now, the Lakers... They saw their fair share of Western Conference opponents last season. Uh, but this season, who are the biggest threats? You know, we've seen kind of the emergence of the Jazz. They made a big push from uh, last season to this season. And is there any dark horse uh, teams that can come out there and, and give them a scare? So in the West? Yes. Yeah, so I think, like, honestly, the Jazz don't really scare me. Bar You know, bar like, provided AD is healthy, because I, I feel like he— like I feel like we talk about them every year and they always get eliminated in the first round. And like, like it's like, Oh, are the jazz like a, you know, like a sexy upset pick, whatever. And it's like, uh, Nope, it's like, go bear, still go bear. Like, and uh, like, I think, you know, AD has kind of eaten his lunch every single time that they have played against each other <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. And so I'm not like super concerned about the jazz. I, I do think that they are a good team that could get to the second round or maybe further, depending on matchups and where they end up. Like, if they end up the one seed, then they get to avoid the Lakers for quite a while, and maybe that allows them to make it through the bracket a little bit. But, like, you know, if they hit the Lakers in, you know, the second round, I don't foresee them getting through that. The, uh, you know, and so I think as far as, like, Western Conference teams that could bother them, the, the only one that really concerns me very much is the Clippers because I'm honestly not positive that the Nuggets got better. I think, like, for all the Jokic MVP talk, and he's been great, I think the Nuggets got worse. He plays no defense, though, Jeremy Harrison. Grant. Huh? Jokic, I don't think, plays a lot of defense. He's not, a like, his game is all offense to me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, no, I agree 100%. Like, I mean, he's he's a better defender, I think, than he gets credit for, but he's not a good defender. Like, right. he, he's okay. Like, he's not, he's not like, always actively harmful is, like, probably the best thing that you could say about. Like, he, he is helpful in certain situations and better than he gets credit for. But, yeah, like, and, you know, what? like, AD is going to, like, run roughshod on them again in the playoffs if yeah. he's healthy. They still don't have anyone that can defend LeBron. Like, you know, uh, like, like poor like Michael Porter Jr. is gonna get like is gonna get lit up for like eight points in like fifty seconds again. Like well, he losing did, like, Jeremy during, Grant uh, was huge during... for them. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Jeremy Grant was the only guy who could credibly defend LeBron, and now he's gone. You know, and so like I think honestly they are wor they're worse than they were in terms of matching up with the Lakers at least. The only team that even worries me even a little bit in the West, and, and actually more than a little bit, is the Clippers. I do think that they are building something a lot stronger this season than they had last season in terms of cohesion, chemistry, playing together. I think that those guys are a lot more motivated. I think that like you know as long as this Paul George injury thing goes away eventually, and like it seems like the reporting on it is pretty nebulous, but provided he's fine, like they are, they're, they're a dangerous team. Everybody wants to laugh because they blew a three, one lead. I have led that parade since the last off season. <laughs> and so I will not begrudge you that, well, but that said, like they look good and like, they are a real threat. I'm not saying they will beat the Lakers. I would still pick the Lakers against them, but they're a real threat. Well, you mentioned Paul George and that team being motivated. I don't think there's anybody more motivated on that team than he is because of that performance last season against the Nuggets. 
Well, see, you would think so, but then he says like bizarre stuff all the time. So who knows what he is even thinking, you know, <laughs> like, like at any, at any point, like, you know, he, he gives like back-to-back interviews where he says complete opposite things. And so like, I don't, yeah, I don't, <laughs> well, I, I have, but he does look very motivated in how he is playing. Yeah. Well, while I'm with you, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's pretty much where I'm at. Um, Harrison. What else does LeBron have to do to convince everybody else that he's the MVP in his 18th year of the NBA? So it's funny. I was actually, I was talking about this with a couple friends who cover different NBA teams today. And like, they were, we, we were just talking about like, you know, like their guys and whoever. And like, I was just saying, like, I honestly think LeBron kind of has it locked up, like barring injury, whatever, like as close as you can, because we all, we know that like, number one, sometimes MVP voting takes like a year to actually be accurate of like what was accurate the year before. Like people feel like they get it wrong based on the playoffs. And then that narrative carries over into the next season. Like, you know, like we saw this with like, not that Kobe didn't deserve the 2008 MVP. He absolutely did. He had like an incredible, like MVP caliber season led the Lakers to the finals that year. But that was to some degree also, you know, like the voter version of a makeup call for giving Steve Nash his MVP, like the prior year. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so like, like when people realize afterwards, like, yeah, actually like Kobe's kind of better than Steve Nash. Like, I, I don't know why that I was say like both of Steve Nash's MVPs like, are Kobe's. So. Yeah. I mean, you could make that argument and I won't stop you. Uh, like I think Steve Nash, obviously, you know, what he did, especially the first year kind of changed the way basketball is played. And so I think some credit has to go to that. It's like the first step MVP a little bit, like you're changing how defenses have to defend and, you know, like they're, but whatever, this is getting totally off topic, but (laughs) as far as LeBron goes, like last year, what was the prevailing sentiment after the bubble after LeBron, I think very knowingly made a show of like, I should have gotten more votes. Like it was, should LeBron have gotten more votes? Did he have a point? And then now it's like going into the season, it's like LeBron's going to be motivated to go get his MVP. He's playing every game. I think you see some voters having a little bit of like hindsight, like regret about making it Giannis. Like Giannis could have averaged 40 points this season and he was not going to win MVP again. You know, there was just no way. He might never win it again. Yeah, at this point, like he may not. And, you know, he's great, but nobody's going to give it to him again based on the regular season until he proves something in the playoffs. There's like voter fatigue there a little bit. Right. And so I think that you might see, I think there's going to be a little bit of a course correction towards LeBron. And at least so far, I'm not sure I've seen anyone make enough of a bulletproof case that they're going to be able to overcome not only like the narrative tide, but also the statistical case that he's making and like, I was joking with Sabrina today on our podcast, like, I'm not going to accuse LeBron of point shaving, but it is interesting that they keep staying in these close games with teams that he knows he can overpower in crunch time. And then eventually he does. And then, you know, at the end of the year, everybody's only going to remember that he went off for like 30 points in the fourth quarter and not that, you know, he like stood literally upright on defense for the previous three. You know what I mean? Like that's an over-exaggeration, but like, I think he is very consciously making his case, and I do think that he's going to ultimately win it. Yeah, and I mean, you you hit on a couple and of things there. It. His production has been incredible. He, he's a deserving candidate. Oh, very deserving candidate. And I mean, I think you said that he has, and I think in your eyes, pretty much almost wrapped it up. And I think this last three-game stretch of the, the overtime games is a testament to that. And also, in addition to that, almost on the same token, the fact that he hasn't missed a game yet says so much. 
And it's like, it's a little bit too of like the, like how many more years of this does he have? Do we really want LeBron? I forget exactly how many MVPs that he has. Is it four? Like, uh, yeah. I, I think this, like, is, this really would be want, five. Yeah. So like, they're like, do we want to reward him one more time? Like, does he deserve it almost not just on this year? And even though I know they're supposed to say it's on this year and fans of other teams are going to get mad, but like, oh, he's saying that they should give the Lifetime Achievement Award. That's not what I'm saying. But also... We know, like, voters work in the media. Voters like a story. Does him getting one more Sunset MVP, you know, vote, like, does that kind of help his case and tilt it towards him? I do think that people, like, they aren't going to want to go back. And, you know, like, during the last dance, when everybody was like, how did Carl Malone win MVP that year? You know what I mean? Like, nobody wants to be looked at like that and have it be like, yeah, nobody wants to be remembered as like, oh, you guys just got voter fatigue with LeBron and you took him for granted and whatever. Like, I think there will be some level of drive to just like, let's appreciate this guy while we have him. If he keeps this up, obviously, like, you know, if he all of a sudden misses 15 games down the stretch because he decides to start load managing, then obviously this is a different conversation. But yeah. prorating out what he has done so far, if this continues for the season, I just have a hard time seeing anyone taking it from him. I, I just think it's going to be tough. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, last thing, and then we'll we'll get you out of here. I know we've covered a lot. Uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but what are you most looking forward to the rest of the way as, as the Lakers continue this title defense? Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing when they start trying like regularly. <laughs> um, you know what? Me like too, somebody, man. Me too. Yeah. Like as somebody who has to recap these games, like I'm tired of the overtime. I would like to see them do like less overtime games. Uh, like, cause that is a lot more convenient for me, even though like uh, somebody replied to us the other day, like, okay, boomer, bring the drama. And it's like, <laughs> all right, dude, like you write, you rewrite your recap seven times in the last five minutes of the game. Okay. Like, and then let's see how much you enjoy the drama. Yeah. So like, you know, it's funny. I enjoyed last game a lot more when I wasn't writing the recap than I was the previous one. <laughs> so, like, you know, I get it. Like, it is fun to watch them do this on some level because it's just crazy. But, uh, like, I'd just like to see, and in all seriousness, I would like to see AD get out there and have things run through him a little bit more and just kind of, like, I want to see some signs of the old AD from the bubble. Not every night necessarily, but just, like, like show me some bursts. Show me some quarters of that guy just so that uh, it's, like, we're sure that it's still there. Yeah, definitely. Well, Harrison, thank you so much. He is Harrison Fagan, editor-in-chief of the Silver Screen and Roll. You can follow him on Twitter at HM Fagan. You can also follow Silver Screen and Roll on Twitter at LakersSBN. Harrison, thank you so much for taking the time to chat about the Lakers with us tonight. It was a lot of fun. Hope to have you on the Sports Kingdom show again soon, man. I'm happy to come back anytime, anytime guys. This was a blast. I appreciate, appreciate it, man. All right, with that, that wraps up this episode of the Sports Kingdom Show. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you decide to listen to the Sports Kingdom Show so you can stay up to date on the newest episodes of the show. Don't forget to follow at TSK Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow all of us as well at the Duke of Sports, at Tyler Pacholke, and at Jacob Double Underscore Gonzalez. We appreciate you all so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode of the TSK Show. Peace.